0: Hi, I'm George Stalker, and welcome to Last Week in .NET. VB.NET is not along for the ride in .NET Core and .NET 5. For those of you who are hoping to get VB.NET in .NET 5, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. This of course is going to cause some consternation among VB.NET developers, and I get it. Visual Basic was written for a time where we thought we could really make a language look like English and not be left out of the room. Now we know better. VB.NET has done good things. And I know of a few products today that are still written in VB.net, but look, it's time. Visual Studio 2019 version 16.7 Preview 6 is now available. Now, this is pretty cool. You can actually get advanced versions of Visual Studio. Whatever the next minor version is, you can get advanced versions of it for free without a license. They're preview, and so they might have bugs in them. But if you want to check out what's coming up in Visual Studio, it's always an interesting install. Now this one is interesting to me because it adds support for Xcode 11.6. I really don't know what this means, but I want to find out because this is really cool. Microsoft's.NET team is hiring. You can actually apply to become a program manager for the .NET team at Microsoft. I thought about applying, uh, but then realized that allowing everyone to be their authentic selves probably doesn't mean making fun of Microsoft on a daily basis. Seriously though, if you can move to Redmond, uh, you should think about applying. .NET is, is entering into its best years, and Microsoft really is uh, one of the better large companies to work for. Microsoft's Roslyn team, now that's the team that produces the compiler for .NET, they released a blog post about productivity improvements uh, in their latest push for Roslyn. Now, this was in 16.6, so you may have missed it. It's It's been out for a few weeks. Um, but what I just noticed is that they've added changes that allow you to see how your date time is going to be formatted. When you say date time to string, you have all those options. They now give you intelligence for those options, and they tell you what they mean. That's wonderful, it's way long overdue. There are uh, other coder factorings uh, for this. I still prefer JetBrains ReSharper, but again, something you should take a look at. The .NET Foundation released its State of the Foundation blog post for 2020. Now, they've, this year they have 800 members, which is 100% growth from last year, and they now have five corporate sponsors. Uh, this State of the Foundation also includes their upcoming plan. Now, I'm pretty glad to see the sort of transparency. I do have some reservations about the .NET Foundation. I do believe that publishing this is a step in the right direction. They also released their budget. And this will get better, but they spend a grand total of $558 on sponsorships this year. You'd hope to see that get much higher if it actually means what I think it means, which is sponsoring open source projects. And that's a metric I'm going to be using to judge whether or not they're having the right impact on the dotnet community. But you have to start somewhere, and they started at $558 worth of somewhere. Stack Overflow released its performance metrics for its Stack Exchange sites on stackexchange.com. Now, the company's called Stack Overflow... It used to be called Stack Exchange. The network is still called Stack Exchange, uh, but the company changed its name back to its flagship site, which is Stack Overflow. Anyway, if you want to know how well these sites perform, you can check out the link at stackexchange.com performance. Uh, and <laughs> the sheer speed of the Stack Exchange network being hosted on .NET, it got the Hacker News folks all upset. And any day we can see how well .NET performs and piss off hacker news that's a good day. .net conf held their focus on microservices virtual conference on July 30th and i have a thread live tweeting it. Now i've i've got some pretty nasty scars and some fun memories from working with microservices and if that sort of thing interests you you can check out my live thread on it. Now if your architect is practicing resume driven development or you work with really large software teams you should check out the videos from the conference, but for the rest of us, it's probably not worth your time unless you want to learn about some of the frameworks that help you build microservices in .NET. Now this week's cool library is Bogus. Now it's a library that allows you to generate fake data for your application. It's pretty cool and you should check it out if you need to generate fake data. One of the common usages that I use it for is if we need to mock data as if it were coming from production. For instance, we need a million rows of data, but we can't use production data. Use bogus, generate it that way, job done. All right, as part of today's episode, uh, we're going to talk about the .NET Foundation. And that may seem a little boring, but I promise you it's not. It's actually really important for you, for me, and for everybody who is part of the .NET community. The .NET Foundation was formed to advance the interests of the .NET programming community including enterprises, partners, individual developers, and open source communities, by fostering open development and collaboration of open source technologies for .NET programming and related technologies, and by serving as a forum for commercial and community developers to strengthen the future of the .NET ecosystem and wider developer community by promoting openness, community participation, and rapid innovation. Now, if that sounded a little canned, that's because it was. That comes directly from the .NET Foundation's bylaws, Article 1, Section 3. Now, the reason why we're talking about the .NET Foundation is that how it's governed and how we interact with it determine how successful .NET Open Source is. Will .NET Open Source be successful because of the foundation or in spite of the foundation? And if you've been developing in .NET for a long time, you understand that Microsoft is really a latecomer to the open source movement. Now the foundation was formed in 2014, and it was formed in much the same way that the Apache Foundation or the Eclipse uh, Foundation were formed, were around a technology stack in this case .NET, and to advance the interests of the .NET community. Now, when we say advance the interests of the .NET community, I've got to put an asterisk there. I mean, Microsoft created the .NET ecosystem. Microsoft's developer division you know, has tons of tooling around .NET. They've put millions and millions of dollars into developing .NET into what it is, and you can't expect them just to let that go and just to be governed by a, f- a foundation. And, of course, it's, it's not. They, uh, they're a founding member, and as such, they get certain rights in the foundation that no one else gets. For instance, in, in Article 2, Section 4 under Founding Member, Microsoft Corporation is the founding member. The founding member intends that the right to manage the affairs of the foundation be vested exclusively in the board, as described in these bylaws, to the maximum extent permitted by applicable law. The founding member and eligible members will elect the board as described in Section 3.3. That's Article 3, Section 3. Now, the board will consist of one director appointed by the founding member and up to six directors elected by the membership. Now that's important. No matter what, Microsoft gets one spot on the board. Okay, the membership elects the other six. In fact, not the other six, up to six. Now the other rights the founding member gets, Microsoft in this case, the director who is appointed by them is going to serve until that person is replaced by Microsoft, or otherwise vacates the position. The founding member, Microsoft, may replace its appointed director anytime time as in its sole discretion. Elected directors will serve for the term established in the director election policy. The founding member, they get to re- change their person out whenever they want. Now, that's something we need to be aware of. Now, the current executive director of the .NET Foundation is Claire Novotny. Claire is the .NET Foundation executive director. Uh, and she works at Microsoft as a program manager on the .NET team. Now, this is very important. Um, if the .NET, if the foundation is independent, then clearly any uh, any actions taken by Microsoft would be seen as well. that's not an independent foundation, and so right now, Claire is the executive director, and as of yet, there's not been a non-Microsoft executive director that I know of. Now, Microsoft has other rights, for instance, under. Article 3, Section 9, Meetings, Subsection E, Limited Special Right for Director Appointed by my Founding Member. This is Microsoft, remember. In connection with any vote to materially change the Foundation's membership policy, director election policy, project governance policy, or any intellectual property-related agreements or policies, a no vote by the director appointed by the founding member will result in the disapproval of the proposed action regardless of the number of votes for approval, and such director must be present as part of any quorum. I.e., if that director is not present, the board will not have a quorum for the matter, regardless of the number of other directors present. So this is important. Microsoft effectively controls how the .NET Foundation is set up and how it's run. You can't change policy if Microsoft doesn't agree to it. That's a very... Interesting way to set it up if you want it to be an independent foundation. Now, under Article 9, Amendments. Any amendment of the Articles of Incorporation or the Bylaws must be approved by vote of two-thirds of the directors then in office. Any such amendment that materially alters, reduces, or eliminates the rights, responsibilities, and privileges of the founding member must be agreed to in writing by an authorized representative of the founding member who is not serving as the director of the foundation. Now, this is interesting. You've got this special person that the founding member appoints, and they can't even vote to make changes. Someone else from the founding member has to approve these changes, like amendments. Now, why does all this matter? Like, why is this political intrigue even important? Now, all of this is important because the .NET Foundation was set up to help .NET open source thrive. Now it only thrives if we do what's best for the community. If we do things that aren't best for the community, it's not going to do as well. .NET Foundation is supposed to do that. It's supposed to take into account how the community feels and conduct itself in a way that helps the community thrive. For instance, they have a vision statement. The vision statement, proposed vision statement, is that a diverse, healthy, and active open source community open source software community where project maintainers are well supported and contributors feel welcome. An ecosystem where .NET open source software is adopted in the enterprise, education, and personal projects. An ecosystem where the foundation, its members, and the worldwide .NET open source software ecosystem work together to identify challenges to the mission and then collaborate on solutions. A community where those that benefit the most from .NET open source software contribute back, whether it be through resources, time, or money. In this community, it's easy for anyone who wishes to contribute to do so in whatever way they can. It should be easy for companies to contribute financially to open source software and easy for project maintainers to receive that support. Now, that's the vision statement that they're proposing to change right now. Uh, that's the proposed end state of the vision statement. Now, the mission statement is the DotNet Foundation is an independent nonprofit organization whose mission is to support an innovative, diverse, commercial friendly, international open source ecosystem for the net platform that is their mission statement now with everything we've gone through so far we've gone through their bylaws we've gone through how they're set up they have six uh, up to uh, six directors plus someone appointed by Microsoft Uh, but they also have one other part which is an advisory council this advisory council consists of six people that work at Microsoft and one that does not also the people that run the foundation they have a treasurer who works at Microsoft uh, Chris Safanos, who works at Microsoft but doesn't have a stated title, and they have Claire, who is the executive director of the .NET Foundation. They have the, They then have their board of directors, of which uh, it looks like none of their board of directors, except for one, except for Beth Massey, is a member of Microsoft. So, ostensibly, right, it's pretty independent, except for the fact that Microsoft appoints the Microsoft appoints a director. They will always be able to appoint a director. They can replace that director at any time at their discretion, uh, and that director cannot uh, make decisions that will materially hurt Microsoft. Uh, and Microsoft has effectively veto power over anything that changes how the .NET Foundation is run. And then they have an advisory council that's made up largely of people from Microsoft. So even if uh, someone wants to make a change, you're gonna the advisory council is gonna be there, and uh, you know this doesn't. Looks so good for Microsoft, please don't do it. But the reason all of this came up is that I believe in the .NET Foundation. I believe in the idea of making open source software work. I think that right now, open source software won't work. It can't work. It's not financially viable for maintainers. Uh, It leads to burnout. It leads to abandoned projects. And generally, it creates more churn in a system. And when you create churn, especially in software, companies don't want to use that software. And I think that, you know, creating a foundation whose job it is to help keep that churn down, I think that's that's a good thing to do. However, open source software has to have the needs of its community at heart. And a foundation that represents open source software has to have the needs of its community at heart. Now, recently, in, in um, it was reported back in May that Microsoft copied its new new Winget Package Manager architecturally from AppGat, which was a .NET open source software package manager. They copied how it worked. They copied its ideas. And if that weren't bad enough, it turns out they had called Keevan and said, Hey, Keevan, can you come out, interview with us? We like what you're doing with AppGat. They interviewed him. They ghosted him. And then the night before build, They call him up to say, hey, oh, by the way, we're not going with your AppGet project. We're going to go our own way. And yeah, it's being announced tomorrow at Build. And the next day, they announced Winget. Now, by itself, this behavior is bad. But this is Microsoft. Aren't they big supporters of .NET open source? Didn't they establish a foundation just for this? Well, I asked that question to the foundation, to its directors. and. The response I received was not our deal. No one asked us for help. We're staying out of it. Is that behavior keeping your your community's needs in mind? I don't think so. And so I dug some more digging. I was like, well, this this can't this doesn't make sense. Like, why would anyone stay silent? You've you've literally have got a .dotnet project that is popular that is filling on a hole that Windows hasn't provided a system level package manager does it pretty dang well. And why is it nobody at the .NET Foundation is speaking out about this? There are some reports from uh, some people at the .NET Foundation when I really pressed them that said, you know, hey, if they were a a member, we might have stepped in. But since their project isn't on our list of projects, we don't, you know, we don't deal with them. But that's not a good enough answer. If your foundation is there to improve .NET open source software adoption, You're not just improving it for the projects that are part of your portfolio. You need to improve it for all of them. You're the interest group for .NET open source software. That's what you do. So again, I was a little heated. And so I started doing more research into the .NET Foundation. That's when I found all the stuff I'm telling you about. I have also been telling people to, hey, you should become a member. You should join the foundation and you should vote. And I believe that. I believe all those things. And one of the questions I asked is that, you know, what does commercial-friendly friend, commercial mean back from the mission statement? And the answer I got was telling, and it it's actually what led me to uh, speak on this podcast about it today. And the answer I got is, the intent is that businesses are able to use .NET-based, open-source software libraries without friction. Clean IP and licensing is is a key part of that, which is why the foundation has projects sign a contribution agreement and a, a CLA bot for for future contributions. That ensures that no one's going to come out of the woodwork with a copyright claim on the code. It also means the use of permissive licenses, which is one reason the foundation does not support libraries with copyleft licenses. It currently does not say anything about a project's commercial viability, nor for sponsors of the foundation, of which Microsoft is just one. And that was from Claire, the executive uh, director. Now Ben Adams, who is a a director on the foundation said it's both. If a project is not sustainable, then it's not commercial friendly and the Foundation should help enable business to give back to projects they use in a commercial friendly way as business purchasing can be a complicated internal system and a common barrier for all projects that the Foundation should endeavor to ease. Also, the Foundation does not support non-permissive libraries for its license, excuse me, non-permissive licenses for its libraries as they are hard to build on or use in a commercial-friendly way. Now, this is important. Basically, .NET Foundation, if you're producing an open-source library, .NET Foundation wants to grease kids, get businesses to use it. So if you produce, uh, let's say, a library that does image compression, if you want to be a part of the .NET Foundation, you can't use a copyleft license like GPL. If you want to be a part of the Foundation for them to care about you, you got to use a permissive license like the Apache license or MIT license. Now, if you're an application, a.NET open source application, you're allowed, although I haven't seen verbiage to that, you're allowed to use a non-permissive license. Now, why is all this important? Well, if you're an open source project and you're a library, I don't see how the foundation is going to make what you do commercially viable for you. I'm going to make it commercially viable for businesses by saying no you may not use GPL or AGPL but you may use MIT license and the Apache license but for applications they'll help you they'll be okay with a non-permissive license at least as i understand what they've said here it's a hell of a way to slice it all right since the bylaws don't cover everything we have to jump into the projects policy the projects policy Uh, allows you to determine what projects can be members of the .NET Foundation and do they meet the health criteria? This is important. So let's start with eligibility. Now they're eligible uh, if they fit within the moral and ethical standards of the .NET Foundation, that's good. If the project is aligned with the philosophy and guidelines for collaborative development, also good. And it's built on the .NET platform or it creates value within the .NET ecosystem. It's eligible if it produces source code for distribution to the public at no charge. That's interesting. The license is operated under a is offered under an open source license, which has been approved by the .NET Foundation. And libraries that are mandatory dependencies of the project are also under offered under a standard permissive open source library, which has been approved by the .NET Foundation. Now, all of these are, and there's more criteria, but those are the most interesting ones. If you decide you want to put your project under the .NET Foundation, you have two choices. You can either, A, assign your project to the .NET Foundation. That's transferring the copyright of your project to the .NET Foundation. Or, B, you can use the contribution model, which is you retain, or the project retains ownership of the copyright, but they grant the .NET Foundation a broad license to the project's code and other IP. Now, why is all this important? Why do we need to care about such esoteric <laughs> documents and it's because if you ever want to know what a business cares about, look at what they write down. They put a lot of effort into these governing documents. Microsoft put a lot of effort in being sure they couldn't be kicked out. They also put a lot of effort into ensuring that they, their rights were always protected with effectively veto power over any decision that changes how .NET foundation runs. The foundation itself is set up to ensure that companies can easily use open source projects. They can easily rely on them. But you're missing a leg, and we see that with what happened with Keevan and AppGet. What about the project maintainers? Where do they come in? Sure, they get a CLA bot that makes it easier for people to contribute changes to their projects. Okay, that's a solved problem. And they get pixel space on the .NET Foundation website, but only if they're members. Something like AppGet, something that was materially important to the .NET community because it showed that you could use .NET to create something as foundational as a system package manager, have it be popular, and they get nothing because they weren't a member. And even if they were a member, it's not like Microsoft say, oh yeah, you're right. Gosh, we shouldn't have competed with an open source project. Ah, our bad. They didn't do that. Microsoft, you know, after an outcry, finally gave Keevan credit, but if they used his architectural work, his design work, well, that's worth what, 75, 100K from consulting just by developer time alone. You get a developer team, you have them spend two months figuring out the architecture of the system, what its design will be, how its APIs will work. That's easily worth 75 or 100K. What did Kievan get? Well, he got a footnote and a readme two months later. And that's the sort of thing that I thought that the .NET Foundation was supposed to protect against. but as I find out, they're not. You know they're there to grease the skids for companies. Protecting projects is uh, a distant second to that. Now that, of course, may not be the desire that may not be what they're trying to do, but it's the impact. And it sure seems like the .NET Foundation is set up in such a way that it's there to enrich Microsoft, even if it hurts the community. And so let's look at their budget. What they do this year? Now, currently, uh, they released their state of the foundation this week. They have five corporate sponsors. They have eight hundred members, and their budget. Uh, they brought in two hundred thirty-seven thousand, sent out expenses of one hundred fifty-seven thousand, and for twenty twenty ending july or excuse me ending june 2020 in their budget they had sponsorships of $558 an outreach of $81,517 goal of outreach is to encourage new developers to build with .net empower underrepresented segments of the coder community become leaders and contributors and assist event organizers with evangelism and growth so for their budget they spent 81,000 on outreach only $558 on Sponsorships. Now it's unclear, you know, how much of their money went to open source projects. I can't tell that just by looking at their balance sheet. You know, there's no line really saying, "Hey, this were our outlays that we actually contributed to projects with." But remember, you know, what people write down they care about. Where is the goals for, you know, giving money to open source projects? I don't see it, and none of this means that they don't care about open source or that. You know, the .NET Foundation just exists to enrich Microsoft, but it does raise some interesting questions at this point. What we need for open source in the .NET community is we need open source to not be plagued by burnout, to not be plagued by companies stealing the work. You know, I would even say that we have we do have a list of problems in .NET open source and, you know, how easy it is to get companies to adopt open source. That's not even on my top five. You know it's hard to get people to maintain projects you know authors like even get their work stolen for no money, no credit. It took the community outcry to even get a footnote on the readme file. Microsoft continually competes with the community, and maintainers don't have the backing of an interest group that can help us. That's what the dotnet Foundation's there for. They're to be the backing for the maintainers. They're to be the special interest group for people that make. Open source software with .dot net. Yes, they should grease the grid, grease the skids for businesses to use open source software. Absolutely, but they should do it in such a way that it enriches the community, not a project sponsor, not their founding member, the community. So here we are. We're at the start of a new fiscal year for the .dot net Foundation. We're having new directors come on, and I want to challenge the directors that join the foundation to figure out who are they there for? Are they there to enrich the founding member to make it easier for them? Or are they there to enrich the community? And if you are there to enrich the community, then we got to start focusing on making .NET open source software sustainable. And yes, that means putting money in the pocket of maintainers. Open source software is a labor of love. You have to love what you're doing, but love doesn't pay the bills. Love doesn't put a roof over your head. These companies have plenty of capital. We need an interest group like the .NET Foundation to put that capital to work for us. Now, how can we do it? One issue is that we should have dual licensing, and the .NET Foundation should look at dual licensing. If you're an open source project, you get one license. If you're commercial, you got to pay, and you should pay. You're making money or you're using the software to make money in your business. Or to save you money, you should pay for that right. If you're a business, the .NET Foundation can help by putting together an invoicing system by saying, "Look, we have lawyers. You pay dues. Those dues go to lawyers to figure out dual licensing. If you're a .NET project, they will figure out the licensing. You don't have to." The next thing we'll do is we'll set up an invoicing system to make it as easy as possible for open source projects under the .dotnet Foundation to have it to generate an invoice for a business so the business can business's purchasing department can pay them the next thing we will do as .NET foundation is that we will fight tooth and nail for .NET open source there should be no one that questions whether .NET foundation exists to enrich the community and seeks to defend the community from companies that would try to take and not give back and that means at some point Members of the .NET Foundation and the directors of the .NET Foundation have to stand up to factions within Microsoft that do just that. This is not the first time that a Microsoft team has taken something from open source. It's only the latest time and it's going to happen again. That's almost a certainty. I want .NET open source software to succeed. I believe it needs to succeed. We're not in a closed source world anymore, but for it to succeed, it's got to be financially viable for the maintainers, the people that put their hearts and their souls into creating these libraries and these frameworks that we use. And the only way that's going to happen is if the interest group we have, the .NET Foundation, puts all of its effort towards making that the goal. Now, this incredibly depressing podcast, of course, is uh, brought to you by myself, George Stocker, and I help teams double their productivity through test-driven development. You can reach out to me at www.doubleyourproductivity.io